This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Are you listening? Deal. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. Joined with me, as always, is Beaver Blitz beat writer, Jake Hedberg. We both are congested. We've got some kind of cold thing going on, so just bear with us. We're here, and we're ready to go. Jake, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, classes are starting to get underway. A little busy schedule, but um, it's going pretty good right now. Yeah, Jake's killing it right now because he's had this nice little honeymoon of fall camp in August and the first four weeks of the season where he had no class and it was like quiet. And now he has to go to class and try to fit in running around to interviews. But you're killing it, Jake. Appreciate you. We all appreciate you. Um, Quick rundown of today's show. Um, we, We were supposed to have a special guest. I was super excited. We were going to bring Easton Mascarenas on. Easton Mascarenas Arnold. He got us confused because he's doing something with damnation that NIL promised us that he would come another day. So um, you will be seeing him somewhere in the uh, podcast world, just not on the damn podcast today because he is doing something with another damn nation. So all this damn, all this damn stuff going on. Jake. Um, okay. But I want to give a quick rundown of the show. We're going to talk some smoke to the big 12. Things are kind of heating up. If you're paying any attention to social media and uh, some of the YouTubers out there. So Jake and I are going to address some of that, nothing to announce here, um, but we do wanna kind of talk about kind of the latest things that have been rumbling going on. More importantly, we're gonna talk about the big, huge win Friday night over the big, uh, against Utah. Gonna go over the Pac-12 and how they did, what they have looking forward to this week. Preview Cal and then take some uh, listener questions in the mailbag, or if you have some, go ahead and drop them in the comments if you are listening live. So, Big 12 talk, Jake. Have you seen any of this, or have you been in class all day? Yeah, uh, I got done with class at 11.50, hustled over to Valley for the Coach Smith press conference, and then I worked for a little bit, and then I I checked Twitter, and all I'm seeing is smoke from Oregon State to the Big 12. And in my mind, it's encouraging that there's momentum building. Obviously, we don't know how reliable this is. but it's better than the last few weeks where it's just been more smoke to the Mountain West. So it's a positive sign, I think, to see this momentum start to build in that direction. Yeah, so the latest that I'm hearing, and I've heard some things, it's not been as loud as maybe a few weeks ago, but Oregon State's not going to the Mountain West. All this talk about the Mountain West, I think, is um, very premature at this point. If the Mountain West was going to be the landing spot, it would have been the landing spot already. So um, there is... I know, I know a lot of you guys, I know um, Carter did a lot with Locked On Pac-12 and Spencer. Um, there is a Locked On Big 12 channel that has been putting out some some really good work. Um, they actually have a guy, and I, I don't, I hate like just doing this like, oh, this guy, his name is Immaculate. Um, but he actually breaks down stuff um, and has broke down for the past couple days or couple weeks Um kind of where the smoke is coming from. And it, it's really intriguing. And I, I can't get all the way into it because I haven't done all the reading, but he's actually looked through the contract. He's like, I'm not really researched. I'm just reading through the, the CFP contracts and, and such. Um, there is some discrepancy about 
the change in the CFP, whether it's a per conference amount or whether it's a per team amount. But at the end of the day, there's potentially a nice chunk of money for Oregon State and Washington State if they remain the Pac-2 for two years. Okay, so they have that two-year grace period to make some things happen. Even if it's a per team, there's still some decent chunks of money there from the bull tie-ins and, and all of the, the inner workings there. So there's money over here. And then it was asked today, well, would that mean ESPN would try to make, say, the Big 12 take Oregon State and Washington State? No, it really has nothing to do with ESPN because ESPN will be paying that money regardless. Wherever, you know, they have to give that money. That's all money being brought in from advertising revenue. Where the, they would get some pressure is from the other power for conferences because they, they're sitting out there looking at this couple hundred million, potentially anywhere from, I've seen 150 million over two years to 320 million over, over two years. Those conferences are looking at that saying, wait, if somebody just takes Oregon State and Washington State, then that big chunk of money gets distributed amongst those four conferences, not split amongst five with two teams getting the lion's share. That's where it's kind of coming from. That's where the smoke is coming from. It's still greed, it's still money. Um, and that's, I think, where Oregon State and Washington State are being smart in saying we can't make any decisions until we know what we're dealing with money-wise. That is what they owe, what they have, you know, all of this stuff, right? So that is the major key piece. The other key piece that I think people overlook is that Kirk Schultz, president of Washington State, sits on the CFP executive board and every vote has to be a unanimous vote. Kirk Schultz could be the complete cog, the, the stick that, that clogs this cog, if you will, um, and could bring everything to a screeching halt unless Oregon State and Washington State are picked up. So aside from the fact that they just simply belong in a Power Five conference, and I think we've we've seen that, we've um, Oregon State has demonstrated that, Washington State has demonstrated that across sports. Um, that's that's what I know, Jake. Jake's been in class, so that's that's the kind of the quick down and dirty. If something happens, guys, know that um, Jake and I will jump on it and do an emergency mm -hmm. pod um, to talk about it all. But that is kind of where we stand. Oregon State, Washington State aren't saying anything. I asked several of my sources down in Corvallis on Friday night, and they were staying very, very tight-lipped. So um, stay tuned. But know that we'll jump back on. Okay, so that's the smoke to the Big 12. Let's transition because Friday night, in Research Stadium, if you weren't there, was electric. Jake, you were on the field before the game with me. We were down there when the flyover happened. The crowd was going crazy. Give me your initial thoughts of just the overall lead up and the atmosphere. Yeah, you know, I thought that last Friday the atmosphere was absolutely electric. You know, as from a student's perspective, that was one of the better atmospheres and better performances from the student section, I think we've seen at least since I've been in Corvallis, um, you know, from start to finish, the crowd brought it. And I think they were a big part in giving Oregon state the early momentum. I mean, playing in front of such in front of such a, a loud and imposing crowd is challenging and Oregon state helped. And that crowd helped Oregon state rattle Utah really right out of the gate. So I was, I was super impressed. Yeah, it was the lights, I know there's been a lot of criticism. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Sarah Alcano mm -hmm. on. I thought they did a better job with the, the sound system. Everything, I mean, there's still been some criticism, but, you know, some people just like to complain, too. So um, was it perfect? Probably not. But I think they did um, did the best they could to make it better. I could actually, we could hear it up in the press box that isn't even mm -hmm. open. So, um, yeah. but you're right. The crowd was crazy. Jake is like a celebrity when we're down on the sidelines. You should walk the sideline with Jake. It's, it's crazy. Um, what went well, um, in your opinion? I thought Oregon state's defense had their best effort of the entire, entire year. Granted Cam rising wasn't playing, but I mean, the, the defense just played with the physicality that we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it kind of reminded me of the older, like 2000 physical, physical squads and really from start to finish Oregon state, Put their foot on the gas pedal defensively and they didn't stop you know uh, uh there was a handful of guys between ryan cooper and hobel thomas who really stepped up uh who really stepped up 
back in the secondary, the linebacker core was great. The defensive line, again, continues to be really strong in stopping the run. And this defense is is really um, just imposing. And for them to do that against a top 10 team was very impressive. Yeah, so Gary DeBro says Cam Rising would have gotten injured again. The D was off the rails. I agree. I mean, I that defense, that defensive performance was um, from the start. Those guys were ready to go. So um, I and that was actually like one of my keys to the game. I was on the radio, forget which radio station it was, but um, it might have been in Salt Lake. But they were talking about early in the week Cam Rising going, and you know, my game plan if Cam Rising was to go was to go after him, rush him, and make mm-hmm. him. Make him move, make him be a little uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, that I, I agree. I think that was the key to the game. I've seen some some questioning of DJ again. Now, what I thought DJ had a great game. I thought the offensive play calling was very good. I, I it was almost like Coach Lindgren like had checked out some of the the blitz thought. I mean, just I know they're opening up the playbook more. Um, but I like that they got him in motion. But I think what Beaver fans are forgetting is just how good this Utah defense is. Utah defense was averaging giving up 51 50, yards a game. 51. 51 yeah. yards a game. Oregon State had, what, 101? 131, I think. 131. Um, yeah, 133, they, something like that. Yeah, it was like three times what their average was. Utah had averaged giving up 9.5 points a game. Oregon State came in at 21. Um, yes, Utah had some injuries. How often, Jake, is it that you say that Oregon State is going to out-physical Utah? Yeah, I mean, I do think Oregon State does try and out-physical teams a lot, but against a program like Utah where they're arguably the most physical program in the country and a, a, a program that teams should strive to play like, and Oregon State really from start to finish on both sides of the trenches, offensive line and defensive line, they were the superior team. I mean – Oregon State held Utah to two under two yards of carry, I think. Um, and, and while we didn't run the ball like we typically do, we still averaged a little over three and a half yards of attempt. And to do that against this stout front seven was very impressive. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like I said, this was not going to be a game that Oregon State was going to, um, you know, tally up a ton of yards. I mean, it was going to have to be take your take advantage of what you were given and get those chunk plays when you could. Um, I thought going out to a 7-0 lead early was huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Miller said defense played like they were pissed. I loved it. Yeah. Yes. They they had something to prove, and they came out and did it. Um, I loved DJ running the ball. I also liked how they set up on that fourth down. The first time they had a fourth and one, and they did the quarterback sneak, where they all piled up in, in the position. Then the second time they did it, Everybody was ready for DJ to run it, and he flipped it back to, to Silas, who who broke free for um, another big run. So I love how they're setting plays up throughout the game. Um, were you surprised by this performance? Mm, I was expecting them to bounce back, uh, but I thought I, one thing I was surprised about was I thought DJ had arguably his best game at Oregon State mm-hmm. while – may not statistically be up to par with his game against San Jose State or, or UC Davis, but those aren't top 10 teams. Those aren't teams that have have had arguably one of the best defenses in the country over the last 10 years. And DJ, if you take away the one interception to Cole Bishop, DJ played a relatively clean game. He was yeah. he threw for over 200 yards and a touchdown. He looked very more he looked much more comfortable. I I feel like against Washington State he was a little antsy or jittery and against Utah he just kind of had a moxie about him that we hadn't seen and to do that against a top 10 team is is a great sign and I'm hoping he can carry that over carry that to the rest of the 2023 year I I agree and like I said I I saw some people on social media kind of giving him you know not giving him but talking about that he's still you know not playing to his potential but I against like you said a top Mm-hmm. I think top five defense. Um, yeah, I thought they're he, still top five. Yeah, uh, that performance and you, like you said, he looked comfortable. He didn't look. He didn't have uh, jittery feet. He stood tall. He did take some sacks, um, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, bounced back and made some good throws. Couple drops. I uncharacteristic. Couple drops from. Yeah, um, there was Ann the Gould, one from Anthony. Gould on the slant. Yeah, but um, other than that, I thought 
big game by Josiah Irish. Uh, of yeah, course, Victor, I, that um, was the best Silas game Bolden. of Josiah's career. Yeah, no, it was it was very. And then um, Munyagi had that huge mm-hmm. twenty-three yard catch for yeah, first down. I, I think it's really great to see other guys step up besides Ant and Silas. You know, that was we talked about this last week. Was there going to be a third guy that steps up? And both Josiah and Reha, they kind of they both made huge plays. Uh, Josiah had a handful of them too, especially that uh, catch on that dime from Childs. Yeah, that was, I mean, and then, and like you said, Reha, Beaver fans keep talking about wanting a bigger bodied wide receiver. He's coming in at six, mm-hmm. two. He's, he's going to be a bigger target. Still doesn't see the tight ends as much as I thought we might, but um, they no. were able to get it done. No. Um, and defensively, I, I do want to say digital dam just said um, the defensive line is his MVP this year for all the talk about a lack of a secondary. It doesn't even matter because D line was in the backfield. And that was something, Jake, yeah. that you brought up from the very get-go. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if anybody, everybody listened to the fact that this D-line is the best D-line we've seen at Oregon State in over a decade. Um, yeah, at least, yeah. And and, and for an, a position group that, quite honestly, has underperformed and been one of our biggest concerns for year in, year out, this is now the strength of the defense. I would definitely agree. You know, uh, a guy I want to talk about in particular is uh, Sione. I think that – Lolo Hea has had a great year. He's in the backfield left and right. It, it may not show up in the box score, but if you go back and watch tape, number eight is in the backfield a lot. And for Oregon State to have that depth at that spot between him and Chatfield, and then Takari Hickel as well, who is another promising younger player, uh, I it it is amazing to see, to see that after – you know, the Gary Anderson era, the end of the Riley era, and then the the, the start of Jonathan Smith. It's it's great to see a defensive line that is top a top unit in the country. Absolutely. Um, here's another another comment. Um, Josh Gray did get beat very bad. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I texted my son who was had to say I'm sick, but he's playing defensive end right now in the JV high school team. Kudos to Josh Gray who got beat so badly on a sack that you never did see 82 in the backfield again the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, true. I mean, that's another point. I thought Oregon State offensive line did a fantastic job. You know, Jonah Ellis leads the country in in sacks, and yeah, he got his. He had two sacks, but they were able to take him out of the game for the most part. And I think you saw that the offensive lines play rewarded too. Tanner Hiller was just named conference offensive line of the week, mm-hmm. and for a kid like Tanner, who I think is still a walk on, that's that's really. Um, Incredible to see and super happy for him. Yeah. So if you haven't seen, um, Easton Mascarenas was defensive MVP, Pac-12 defensive mm-hmm. player of the week. And Tanner Miller, as Jake said, was offensive player of the week or offensive line player of the week. Yep. Very, very well deserved. I'm surprised Silas didn't uh, didn't jump in there either. Yeah. But, Silas um, had a heck of a game. He did. But um, yeah, I guess this is all voted on by the entire conference media. So um, there might have been some people that thought some other ones were more deserving, but um, no, I thought, I thought everything went as about as good as it could um, for Oregon state um, this coming week, they get Cal on the road for a seven o'clock game. And it was just announced earlier today that UCLA, the homecoming slash family weekend game will uh, air at 5 PM, 5 PM kickoff from research stadium on Fox. That's prime time. Yeah. I do feel like it's interesting to see that, this is about three of Oregon State's first six games are on Fox or CBS. Yeah. But apparently the Corvallis TV market isn't big enough to warrant a power <laughs> four conference. So. Yeah, no, he's watching, if you ask, yeah. you know. Obviously yeah. no one's watching. but Obviously, <laughs> obviously. Um, Brian Miller says, refs near the end, we're trying to keep the game going for Utah. Might just be orange-colored glasses, but oh. I, I, I saw a little of that. You know what was even it, more? It was more interesting. Jake, did you ever go back and watch some of the, the um, broadcast? Uh, like the Tim Brando. Yeah, yeah. Broadcast. I have not watched. With so the radio, I, with, there was a ton the on the on my Twitter feed during the game about very pro Utah. There was a it was it had a little slant, but you know the media maybe has a little bit to play here in the fact that they were part of the reason that Oregon State and Washington mm-hmm. State don't have a home. So maybe we don't want them building them up and having them win. I don't know. I don't want to be tinfoil hat here, so we'll just kind of drop that. But there were some. But you know what? Utah could probably point to a couple calls that the refs made, but Oregon State did have 100 yards in penalties, mm-hmm. um, 11 penalties for 100 yards, which 
is uncharacteristically high for them. Um, yeah, a couple I'd... of those were targeting calls. So Oregon State will not have James Rawls or Calvin Hart for first half against Cal. I thought Which the one of those were... Which one of those losses do you think will be a bigger impact on the first half of next week's game? God, they're both huge. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, Calvin Hart has come along so quickly, but James Rawls is one of those kind of quiet, um, just stalwarts on the defensive line. Um, they're both going to have a mm-hmm. have an effect. But luckily, and I and I don't say this to be disrespectful, but it's Cal. And it's not Utah. You know, like if we were coming yeah. into this game, if Oregon State was going in to play Utah, it would sting a lot more than going against um, Cal. Or if it was an Oregon State offensive player, um, just because I think Cal Cal's strength is their defense. So, um, no, we'll, we'll talk about them in, in a few minutes. But um, that's a good question. What would you say, Jake? I'm going to flip it right back, you know, to, the yeah. back at you. Uh, to me, it's such a tough call because I, f- I feel like depth-wise, the defensive lines pretty strong while Rawls is out. You still have Isaac Hodgins to slide in the starting lineup or Samisis Haluni. You may even see some more Takari Hickel. And then the but on the flip side at the inside backer spot, I'm really excited to see how a guy like Melvin Jordan does and what will likely be his first start because he's been very impressive. Um, yeah, he has. You know, Jonathan Smith today wouldn't necessarily commit to him as a starter. You know, John Miller, he's an experienced guy. He may – get the start instead, but I would expect to see Jordan. Um, and I'm excited to see him because he was a highly touted kid. He had a really good scholarship offer list. And he's he's looked pretty good in his yeah. limited action. But I've been waiting yeah. for Isaiah Chisholm too, because he's the yeah. guy passed the eyeball test uh first, you know, during fall camp. I, I do think, you know, he's a true freshman. So obviously yeah. that is um you know just needing I, a little more time learning the system. Yeah. But at this um, point I'm not sure if he's even Gonna redshirt. He has one more game. I think. I think one he's more. played in three. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do because they have a handful of guys who are kind of at that point between Childs with three, Chisholm with three, Card with four, and Thomas Collins with two. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they kind of handle that. Whether they go all in and play those guys in Bernie year or save it, have them spend the rest of the year in the weight room and develop. It'll be interesting to track that. My my opinion is now. In today's day and age with the transfer portal and with Oregon State's kind of up in the air um, where they're going to be home to uh, play them because that's, yeah. that's that's my opinion. Um, get them the reps. Um, that's my thoughts as well. Kevin Plupinger, I hope I said that right, said defense did have a lot of calls against them. It reminds me of Erickson defenses. I would rather see that level of aggressiveness than DBs falling in front of the ball carriers hoping they will trip. Abso-freaking-lutely. Yeah. Uh, it's better to be physical and penalized than be soft and get ran all over, in my opinion. Yes. I completely 100% agree. Okay, who gets your game ball this week? Yeah, um, this, was a <laughs> tough call. this was a tough call for me. Uh, there were really a handful of guys that I thought earned it and deserved it. Um, I'm going to give one out on each side of the ball. On offense, I'm going to go to it's Silas Bolden. Kind of tough to go anywhere else on that side of the ball. Um, it's a guy who had the best game of his Oregon State career, uh, in my mind at least. He had 100 yards, six catches, a, a nasty touchdown, and then defense and running the ball too. He scored a, the 45 yard touchdown, and he had a the longest seven yard run I think I've ever seen in the fourth quarter where he was just no. weaving through. Was that was was that Silas's first game where he had a receiving touchdown and a rushing mm-hmm. touchdown? Okay, that's I, I believe I believe so. Yeah, um, and then on defense it was tougher. To me, there was a handful of guys between Ryan Cooper, Noble Thomas, Sione Lohea, but I I feel like Easton Mascarenas comes up top yet again. He's a kid who has been ready to start arguably since he got to campus. He just had really good linebackers in front of him, and now that they're gone, it's his time to shine. And man, has he taken advantage of it? He's he had the nine tackles, a huge sack on fourth down, and then a red zone to stop a a, a drive that if Utah scored, it would have made it a one score game. Um, yeah, that interception was huge. And it was, if, it was if you huge. haven't if you haven't seen, he is playing with a club on his hand because he had that yeah. upsurgeon season um, surgery on his hand. So he's playing with a big kind of a cast on his hand, and he still made that that uh, interception. Huge, huge a, game. And 
like you said, the second one too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's such a critical juncture in the game and in in field position, huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely think Oregon State has this next star linebacker there. So I'm I'm just gonna give one game ball because. I was super, super critical of the coaches last week against Washington State. And so my game ball is going to Trent Bray because what he did in flipping that group in, I mean, we knew that that was that first half of Washington State was kind of an anomaly, but to flip it completely the other way and get those guys ready to play, huge, huge. And like I said, so I, I will call out a coach. I will call it coaches when I feel that they are in the wrong and maybe haven't got their team ready to play. And I know some people on Twitter were not happy with that, but in my opinion, those coaches make a lot of money. They can take some criticism because it's not, it's on players too, but um, you know, players have to make the plays, but coaches need to put them in the best position. And so I will also call them out when they have done something really good. So um, good job. And, and same to Brian Lindgren. I, I thought the game call um, for the most part was super solid. So coaches get my game balls this week. Gonna transition now. Do you have anything else you want to bring up about Utah? Huge win again. Huge, huge win. We cannot yeah. under, understate that. Beeps back win. up to number fifteen in the country, um, and then they have Cal. So um, yeah. we're gonna look the at the road is there. Yes, yeah. So we're gonna look at the week that was. So we start off with that number nineteen OSU twenty one to seven win over number ten Utah. Did you watch football all day Saturday? Um. I watched mostly in the afternoon and that night. Uh, had a little, had a late a late start on on Saturday morning. Um, was able to catch the second half of the of most football games, but or of most games that that morning. But I I didn't even watch the Colorado game. Okay, so that one was yeah. one. That see, that's me too. I number eight USC forty eight Colorado forty one at Boulder. That game was like out of hand by halftime. Yeah, I, I didn't ran to the on. store. And by the time I got home, it was almost over, and it was 48-41. Huge comeback by the Buffaloes. I still – my thoughts – I mean, Oregon State doesn't play USC. They play Colorado in Boulder. That could be a tough game. I mean, mm -hmm. I still don't think Colorado's defense is that great. Um, USC's defense is majorly suspect. Yeah. I think if they want to compete for a national championship, Lincoln Riley has to – make some sort of change, whether that's firing Alex Grinch or doing like an internal swap or changing the scheme, the system, just whatever it is, is not working because they have shown a like Colorado is a decent offense, but Oregon held them to six points. And that one yeah. touchdown wasn't garbage time. USC giving up 41 to them is kind of, that, that puts their defense on the same level as TCU and Colorado state and, if you want to just imagine what an offense like Ohio State with guys like Marvin Harrison will do against you, it'll be just recipe f for disaster. And I don't even have SC in my top tier of Pac-12 teams right now. Yeah, I don't either. I, their offense is electric, but yeah. Um, and and I don't know what I mean. They have they have talent, so I don't. It must just I mean it must be the coaching. Um, but anyway, that was an interesting one. Like I said, I didn't expect it to be that close. Um, Cal and beat. Arizona State 24-21. That was a little closer. Um, after ASU got blanked by Fresno, I wasn't expecting uh, you know, <laughs> expecting that one. Well, they scored that 28 one? on SC, though. Uh, I did they not did. You're right. Yeah, they did score. Uh, I watched the Georgia-Auburn game instead okay. during that okay. time slot, but I did like do a little box score, um, rewind or whatever you want to call it. And Cal, they're going to try and run the ball on us. Um Jade Knott's a great running back. He's uh, arguably the second best in the conference. Um, actually, so quick, I, quick I fact, you, you probably remember this, yeah. but Oregon State, it was between Cal and Oregon State for Jade Knott. Jade Knott chose Cal. Oregon State went all in on Damian Martinez. I think they wanted them both because yeah. wasn't Dame already committed? And then they brought Maybe. Jade Knott in. I'm pretty sure Jade Knott didn't sign with Cal to like, December and his top okay, two was, was it, okay. But yeah. I know that he was that's top what my two was, memory. Okay. Yeah, was Cal um, State. Oregon, um, Oregon got down. It was a six-zero early Stanford lead, uh, but number nine Oregon comes back forty-two to six over Stanford. Um, both Cal and Stanford were home this weekend, and if you saw those <laughs> games, there was 
no one there. Yeah, but you know, they deserve to be in a power. They do. Power they do. Conference. Yeah. They do. They absolutely do because their fan base is crazy and yeah. just arguably passionate. the best in the conference. Yes, yes, and they will go to the ACC for no money because hey, we don't need money either. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I I caught the first three quarters of that game, and everything I've seen from Stanford this year tells me that they are truly. I think they're the worst team in the Pac-12. Um, obviously, it's going to be a rebuilding year, but they did play Oregon hard in the first quarter, but after that, it was all ducks. It was, um, and then the game that was actually the one I I had fun watching was the evening, the night yeah. nightcap, number seven Washington at Arizona. Washington squeaked by 31-24, yeah. which surprised I mean, I actually have Arizona in, what, three weeks, four weeks mm -hmm. as kind of my trap game for Oregon State going down in the desert. But um, I still think Washington is the probably most complete team in the conference right now. Um, I agree. Just what they can do offensively. They have some giant receivers, too. Yeah. I mean, that was a fun game to watch. I really it was. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that. And I, I, I just think Washington, they're so deep. Um, and – you know, it's it's always hard to go play at a school, uh, with particularly those Arizona schools. A lot of weird things have happened down there uh, between top ten teams. And Washington, they battled. They they really held their own. Uh, they've got guys. Jalen McMillan, he didn't even play again. And they had a third guy step up. Uh, Jeremy Bernard, he had almost 100 yards. It was it, – it's a scary team, and I I think they're up there with the top three, four teams in the country right now, to be honest. I I agree, and I think Penix absolutely should be in the Heisman yeah. uh, I, discussion. Yeah, I, I think Penix should be the front runner at this point. He's done more against better competition than Caleb Williams has, in my mind. Yeah, but, no, I just, I just think that they are such a complete team, and like you said, it's a very system-oriented team because they're mm -hmm. having guys drop, and – they're able to plug new guys in. Um, yeah, like their best receiver, he didn't even play last, or yeah. I guess the last two weeks now he hasn't played. So it's it's going to be, I mean, that game in two weeks, Oregon, Epic, Washington yeah. is going to be ginormous. I'm excited so, to watch that. It sounds like college game day should should he up probably there. be up there. Uh, I don't know. I, if, if Beaver fans ABC. and Cougar fans are watching and it goes to Seattle, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there should be just a flood of, of Beaver and Cougar <laughs> fans up there because, you know, game day. They don't seem to respect the, uh, the yeah. flag up there. Yeah. I don't know. Just just a thought. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break before we talk about this week in the Pac-12 and then Cal. Um, if you're watching us live, we'll be right back. You're going to still see us. We just have to take a quick break for the podcast side of things. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back uh, to the damn podcast. We had to take a quick break, um, but we are back to talk this week in the Pac-12. And so before I jump into this week, I do want to let everyone know if you're listening and not a member at Beaver Blitz, now is the time to join tonight. So we are taping or going live at Monday, about four o'clock, a couple hours, give us a few hours. I think they flip the switch at 9 p.m. tonight. Um, we are offering two months for $1. So it's a great, great way to get in get you um, the next two months, which is football season. So get in, get in the lodge, lots of information, and you can read all the VIP stories and all the VIP and message boards and all the other 24-7 sports network. Okay, Jake, let's talk about this week. Kind of a, a lighter slate of Pac-12 games. Um, 
in that there's several buys, but um, we're going to kick it off. You know, number 15, Oregon State at Cal. OSU is currently a nine and a half point favorite. We'll talk a little bit more about that game, breaking it down here in a little bit. But do it, it's dropped from 10 points. Oregon State was a 10 point favorite this yeah. morning, down to nine and a half. What, what are your thoughts on, on that point spread? Yeah, you know, I do think this game will be a little closer than most people think. I do think Oregon State still covers the spread, but Cal's a very similar team to Oregon State in terms of the way they want to play football. They're a run first team behind Jade Knott. Um, their quarterback position's kind of iffy at the moment. Haven't really seen a whole lot from them. And then defensively, they're strong. They have a really good run defense. They're holding opponents to under 100 yards per game on the ground, and that'll be a tough test for Oregon State. Um, you know, they – they have struggled in Berkeley. Um, they lost a game that, if you look at talent and the records of those teams, Oregon State should have won in 2021. Um, weirder things have happened. I, I'm pretty confident Oregon State pulls out a win by two or three scores, but don't be shocked if this one is closer than anticipated. Okay. So um, Oregon State's uh, brother in all this, number 13, Washington State at UCLA. UCLA is a three and a half point favorite in the Rose Bowl. How do you like this one? Yeah, this is probably my uh, favorite game or the game I'm most looking forward to watch uh, from the Pac-12 slate, at least. And I hope Washington State goes and beats the brakes out of them. You know, uh, this whole thing kind of started because of SC and UCLA. And um, I, I, I hope Washington State goes out and Cam Ward has another huge game. I think that UCLA at the quarterback position, we really don't know Dante Moore yet. He faced a tough test two weekends ago, and he struggled. And as Washington State showed against Oregon State, their defense isn't a slouch, and it, it, it'll be another tough test. And what I think it'd be, I think it would be helpful for Oregon State as well because they play them next week. If Washington State kind of takes the wins out of the out of their sails, beats them up a little bit. Yeah. physical some i mm -hmm. i guess i've just never seen ucla as a real physical team so i think that's gonna no. be a really good matchup yeah. um colorado plays at asu colorado is a four-point favorite on the road you think colorado runs away with this one yeah i think colorado covers the spread for sure um i feel like dion is gonna kind of have his guys pissed off after two losses and potentially we may see travis hunter i know the time frame was three to six weeks and this would be week three i think um so his addition would be helpful and i just think colorado's too talented at the skill spots for uh arizona state to to, to, to slow them down and last game of the week so there's only eight conference teams playing this week um arizona at number nine usc usc is a 21 and a half point favorite i think arizona covers this game I would not be shocked. I'm not going to outright and say it happens, but I'm not going to be shocked if Arizona upsets USC. I I feel like regardless of who Arizona has at the quarterback spot, whether Jaden Delores help, is healthy or they roll with uh, Noah Fafita, but Arizona's got some dudes, but Jacob Cowling, Teotora, Hickmillan, Tanner Hicklocklin, the Colorado transfer. Um, Lamonis Craig. Yeah, Craig. They've got some guys. Um, yeah. I don't know if they're and that they also held that they held Washington to only thirty-one points. So yeah. don't be shocked if Arizona uh, shocks the country on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I think Arizona, like you said, they have some dudes, especially yeah. the skill position players. So um, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, again, Oregon State, the one most of Beaver Nation or everyone in Beaver Nation should be watching, number 15 OSU at Cal. That is a 7 p.m. kickoff. Again, make sure if you're not a member of beaverblitz.com that you do join. We are offering a two-month for $1 promo. That kicks off tonight, Monday night, the 2nd of October at um, 9 p.m. Pacific time, and it runs through Thursday at uh, 9 Pacific time, midnight Eastern time. Okay. Should we talk a little Cal? Let's do it. Cal Bears. I don't get too excited when I talk about Cal Bears. They, <laughs> they, they don't really, you know, get me super jacked up. But looking at their schedule here, first of all, every game of the Pac-12, I guess, is a big game, especially when it's the farewell tour. The Pac-2 farewell tour. So yeah. um, <laughs> The revenge tour. <laughs> the revenge tour. Um, so Cal, let's look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off your, their schedule for you. 
they beat first week beat North Texas 58 to 21, lost to Auburn 10 to 14, beat Idaho 31 to 17, which Idaho was leading a lot of that 17-0 game. 17-0 at halftime. Yeah. yeah. Um, they I'm lost to the Huskies, yeah. Washington Huskies 32 to 59. And then uh, this last week beat ASU in a close one, 24-21. Cal's defense is legit, but how mm-hmm. much do you think it helps Oregon State that they've played Washington State and Utah, who I would say have better defenses? Yeah, I, I do think that does help. It'll kind of take pressure off of um, Oregon State in regards to how it could have been if they played, say, USC and Colorado instead of two of the worst defenses instead of two of arguably the two of the best three in, in the Pac-12. Um, I A matchup I'm really interested to watch is Damian Martinez against uh, the Cal inside backers because they have a pair of two studs, Jackson Sermon and uh, Caleb Elrams Orr, I think is how you say it. Um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be a tough test for sure, and I think Dame hasn't hit 100 yards in two weeks now, so I think he's getting kind of antsy to get back to that level. Do you think his running has changed? I'm going off script here, but do you think Damian Martinez's running style has changed at all this year as to last year, or do you think just teams are focusing more on him this year? Uh, I think it's a mix of both. I, th- I think he's looked a little more patient, you know, trying to find the open hole rather than, than as a freshman, especially toward the start of his freshman year. He would kind of just put his head down and try and get as much yards as possible without waiting for a bigger mm-hmm. hole to potentially open up. Um and again, I do think defenses are starting to hone in on him and stack the box and make Oregon State throw the ball, and that may diminish his his stats. But I think if it results in wins, there's not much to be upset about. Absolutely, he it was funny after the game, after doing the um, video interviews and things. I stayed in the in the football center to work a little bit and came out, walked around, and he snuck out the. Because you know, Jake, everybody waits, like yeah. their families and friends and, and all the fans and kids are waiting outside. He snuck out the side door, kind of <laughs> snuck out into the night. So, um, okay, what stands out besides those inside linebackers? What stands out when you look at Cal? Yeah, you know, sh- shifting over to the offensive side of the ball, there's quarterbacks at the question. There's question marks at the quarterback spot. Uh, that's really what stands out. You know, Sam Jackson, the TCU transfer, was named the starter at the uh, – at the end of camp and he's a guy who was a highly touted kid was committed to TC or excuse me, transferred from TCU said that already. Um, and, and then he got hurt in game one and Ben Finley took over who transferred from NC state, I believe. And he didn't look super great. I feel like if Jackson played, they may have beat Auburn. Um, but they've been kind of they had been kind of splitting time against Idaho and Washington, and then Jackson started and played the whole game against Arizona State. Haven't seen too much from him yet. They do have a really good receiver for him to throw to in Jeremiah Hunter, but I don't think he's faced a front seven necessarily as good as Oregon State's yet. You, you could make an argument that Washington's is good, or is is almost as good. But I I think Oregon State's is better, and I think they're gonna have an they're going to have a real opportunity to rattle them right out of the gate. Is that your game plan? Like, you know, kind of attack yeah. early, put yeah. pressure on early. I mean, it's a younger quarterback. He's a more inexperienced guy has two or three, maybe career starts. And I, th- I would imagine Trent Bray is aware of that. And he's going to try and take advantage of that by applying pressure, trying to throw him off his game. Um, and yeah, just, just rattle them. I'm just going to make a quick point here for all of you guys watching live. If you have any questions for the mailbag feature, we're going to be jumping to that here in a few minutes. So make sure to pop those into the comments. So what does Oregon State then have to do on the defensive or on the offensive side of the ball to, uh, to come out with a win? Yeah. You know, again, I think they have to establish dominance in the run game early. Um, They're the Cal defense is good. Their, their Cal run defense is really strong or in Oregon state. They're, they want to run the ball. That's what this offense is built to do. They're not built to play from behind. While DJ has looked more serviceable, Oregon State's not going to stray away from their bre- from their bread and butter unless they have to. And I think if you get guys like Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick, who had kind of a rougher game this last weekend, if you get them going early, then you should just dominate all game. 
you think they cover the spread, the nine and a half points? Yeah, I think they, I think they cover, I think they win by 17 to 21 points. Um, I understand it, it could be closer if, if Cal does take away the run game. Road games are just tough. I mean, that's yeah. Eric's big thing when we start doing our staff picks and things, he always is, you know, road games. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who you're playing on the road in the Pac-12 is tough. Um, yeah. I, I, th- I do think the home field advantage is maybe a little, well, okay. So I will than. say this, I was going to say it's less intimidating when you're at Cal or Stanford. However, yeah. I've talked to OSU coaches who say it's almost, it's almost weirder. Worse. It's quiet. Yeah, yeah. Because it's quiet. It's like walking into a morgue. And, and so you have to create your own energy, which you do on the road anyway, but um, there's yeah. nothing really to get you fired yeah. up. So um, it is a different atmosphere in that there is no atmosphere. And um that can be tougher. So that's something I think Oregon state is going to have to be ready for and, um, you know, bring their own energy to this game. Yeah. And, you know, circling back to Cal, to me, it's kind of, they're a tough team to kind of get a read on. Yeah, I agree. They barely beat Arizona state who appears to not to be in the bottom two Mm -hmm. teams in the conference, but then they hang with Auburn who almost just beat the number one team in the country. And there's an argument that can be made that Cal could have or should have won that game too. So uh, I believe was that a home game? I think that was home for Cal. But still, that's to play to almost beat an SEC team that almost beat the number one team in the country is it's impressive for them. But it it it's just really odd and confusing to me. And yeah, they're really they're a, the right read. They are a hard one, you know. And I I do respect yeah. what Wilcox has done. Yeah. Um, I do think his defense will be ready to play, but it, you're right. It's, I don't really know what to expect from their offense. And um, mm-hmm. if Oregon State, though, if their defense plays like they did against Utah, yeah, they can beat I, anybody in the country. I, I would agree with that. I, I I think that for the defense to bounce back the way that they did this last week was very promising because, um, you know, a lot of teams very well could have just rolled over after yeah. giving up over 500 yards in a game, and they gave up what? 198 less than 200 even yes 198 was the total that they gave up to utah and that's they didn't have barnes and rising but that's still a top 10 team and they almost pitched a shutout too yeah yeah no it was it was a masterful but oregon state i i I do feel that they always have matched up well even under riley they fresh matched up pretty well with utah and that they kind of do the Mm -hmm. same thing they're they're kind of playing mirror images but yeah i think this one's going to be a really interesting one um, on Saturday night um, down in Berkeley. Another thing I'm interested to see is, do we see Aiden Childs again? Yeah, I bet we do. I, so, I just have this hunch that they're going to get him assigned. I don't think, yeah. I I think they're going to get him in each, or try to at least get him in each game for a series or two, because if you're trying to save the red shirt, you don't put him in against a top 10 team at at that point in the game, yeah, it was that was a designed, a designed yeah. plan. To me, it's to me the plan, and obviously Jonathan and the coaching staff won't outright say it. Yeah, um, at least in my mind, they wouldn't. But I don't see him redshirting. He's already played his four games, right? He's played in three. Three, okay. So he can play in one more. Gotcha. Okay. Are you ready for some damn questions? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Okay. Um, we'll jump right here. Brian Miller in the live chat has a question. Has there been any update on when we'll see Alton Julian back on the field? I saw him. He was completely suited. Yeah, Yeah. he's fully cleared. He's played in two games this year. I just think at this point he's not fully back up to the same speed he was two years ago. And at the safety spot, Oregon State's got some guys. And to come off an injury like that after two years, it's going to take time. So I do – expect at some point in this season or maybe even next season if he applies for a medical red shirt that you'll start to see more of the 2021 version of julian but i don't think he's back to that level yet which is very understandable i mean you have an acl and then from what i've heard they injured it yeah yeah had to have it clean so um yeah there's got to be some mental um stuff at play just like what we were talking about Mm camerizing too it's tough to come back yeah it's you had you had knee surgery yeah yeah, a small one. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're gonna jump on Beaver Blitz here in the lodge to get some of the questions. Beaver Fanatic one two three said, with Calvin Hart and James Rawls serving first half suspensions, who replaces them in the starting lineup? 
kind of talked about yeah, that earlier. We kind of touched on it. I'm going Melvin I, I Jordan. I think it'll be Jordan. And then and, uh, Hodge. Rawls, yeah. I think it'll be a hand. I, I feel like the defensive line already rotates a lot. Yeah. That's kind of been a theme I've noticed this year compared to last year, how it seems like almost every other play they're rotating in uh, Golden and Rawls for Lilohea and yeah. Hodgins or Chatfield or Saluni or just, they're just a ton of pieces that fit on that defensive line. And I, it'll, yeah, it, I think it'll be a hodgepodge of guys that kind of mix it up in there. We kind of addressed this too um, in the live chat. Kevin Klupinger asked, will the two targeting suspensions for the first half affect defensive performance? I said no. I, I don't think it will. The one thing, it will affect potentially is the run defense because Rawls and Hart are a big part of that. And Jay not, that's what Cal wants to do. Um, you may see them lean on that more heavily in the first half and the second, but um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. I feel like Oregon state's got depth at those spots that they haven't necessarily had in years past. So Beef's fanatic one, two, three also asked noble Thomas looked good in his last game versus Utah. Do you think he earns the CB2 spot opposite Jane Robinson, or do you think we will continue to see Ivy and McCoy rotate through that spot? Yeah. Well, Noble wasn't even playing corner originally. He was playing nickelback. Nickel, yeah. And then Coop slid out from from that spot to corner. But then when J-Rob went down, Noble slid out to corner and Josiah Johnson stepped in. And to me that was telling because they could have put in Tyrese or Jermaud at that corner spot. Uh in place of Jaden Robinson, but by sliding Noble in, it kind of tells you that they've got that they trust a guy like Josiah Johnson at nickel more than they trust a guy like Tyrese at corner. So for me, that kind of leads in mind that Thomas has that nickel back job locked down now that he's healthy, and you're gonna see more of Ryan Cooper at that corner spot. Yeah, that was um and hopefully J Rob's back, but um Mm -hmm. did smith say anything i have not seen his no he did not okay. it was a hamstring he did say um on saturday night so hopefully he's I, I would imagine to be major yeah i would imagine he'll be fine and even then against cal um with their passing game not being to the level it was when like jared goff and davis webb were there i i feel like if you have thomas and cooper at corners you're going to be more than comfortable uh mr g gray says if you are the beeves pr person what is the first thing you recommend to tell the story of how awesome OSU is and why the nation should care about them? Hmm. That's a good one. That's a, that, that's a that, thought-provoking that's a question. I know. I got to. Because there's so much awesomeness yeah. about Oregon State. Yeah. To me, it's just the atmosphere, like the family atmosphere, like everyone. I don't know. It's, it's just an atmosphere that like, I feel like Obviously, I haven't been to too many college campuses. I've really only ever been to Oregon besides OSU. And just feels different down there. Like, it doesn't feel like home or, like, anything like that. So, I would – Hey, but they're built on substance, Jake. Feel. Don't forget. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I and I, I've been around a lot longer than you, obviously. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think – you know who I think could tell the story? He wouldn't want to, but I think – Jonathan Smith, if, yeah. if you just, you didn't tell him that you I were feel like that's him a that, good story. No, I mean, it's a good story in its own right. But I think if you were like what Oregon State started to do during fall camp where they had those little videos kind of behind the scenes and they yeah, had Jonathan really. addressing the team, mm -hmm. that I think is what you do. You get, you have Jonathan telling that story. You have Mitch Canham telling that story. Um, yeah. It's, it does seem like a lot of notable figures in, in Oregon State sports nowadays are Oregon State alums which i think that in itself kind of speaks to how once people get here they don't want to leave they they want to stay and be you know be around this place like you said it's family it's their kids running mm -hmm. around at practice um yeah you know it's um it's and it's more than just football um and i and i think that's something too that oregon state needs to maybe do a better job too is to talk about how strong the other sports are i know they had a graphic yeah. circulating about the elite eight and the base and the college world series and, and kind the of all Final the things four. that yeah. final four all of all of it um but i think that's more of the story as well that it's not just a football program it's it's all but i i do think if it was me like and like jake said i would totally focus on that whole family dynamic and like i said whether it's gosh you, you know when you're <coughs> at practice when you're at fall camp and you know the coaches are at their office all day long every day night 
but they bring their kids by practice mm -hmm. and you see, yeah. you see the coaches chasing their little kids running around and there's a lot there. Um, so I, that's what I would do. I would, I would concur. Um, how did you like Jonathan Smith's milk the clock signal? <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> that was, that, that yeah. was bad. Uh, he kind of touched on that on today's, uh, in today's presser. He was, he was like, uh, I'm sorry to anyone I may have offended. <laughs> that was pretty, I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty tough to keep a straight face. So I wasn't aware of that till like half an hour after the game. I, yeah, I it was. Twitter, it was the, I see that. <laughs> yeah, we were waiting for the for the press conference to start after the game, and it was all over Twitter. And I was like, "What is he doing?" And Eric sitting next to me he's like, "I think he's milking the clock." And I'm like, oh. "I mean, it's pretty creative. Like, it is." How, how many coaches he, would think of that? <laughs> but he was even saying that he didn't have the right he didn't have the right signal down, and the offensive coaches were giving him crap because he didn't have the right signal yeah. down. But I don't know. Do you want Jonathan Smith on your charades team if you're playing? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't <laughs> think I would have thought of that for Milk the Clock, but hey, I mean, hey, that's pretty. It's pretty funny. Okay, so uh, Reserve Twenty Three has a couple questions. Did OSU size the stadium correctly with the new West Side? That's tough because I feel like it looks re really nice, but at the same level compared to the rest of the current Power Five schools, it is on the smaller side. Um, you know, Washington State's really the only one that comes to mind that's smaller off the top of my head. I'm sure there are still schools that have smaller ones, but um, I feel like it's built for them to be able to expand on it. Um, yeah. If that makes sense, like there's room for expansion. There's room for south yeah. end zone. You could. You, know, you could, yeah. I, I feel like it, there's room for it, and don't be shocked if it does end up happening, depending on what happens in terms of conference. Um, but what I will say is that. what they've done between the, the 2005 or 2006 opening or 2005 opening and this side, um, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it feels pretty weird having the old side or the – the old side be the old side now because yeah to yeah. me like growing I, up as a kid i was like oh it's always like so much nicer side. than the other side and then now it's like if, if i'm like walking around the stadium before a game i'm like oh going to the old side it, yeah, yeah. Go to the old side <laughs> um besides the pac-12 title game what bowl game would you be excited about to attend this year i mean obviously the rose bowl <laughs> but that's a college football playoff uh game and there's no conference tie-ins there, so I'm not really sure how that would work. Um, in terms of bowls with a tie-in, I'd enjoy the Holiday Bowl. Uh, I've never been to San Diego. I've got a couple of friends that uh, just graduated that stay there now, so that'd be a cool place to check out for a few days. Yeah, I think I think the Holiday would be fun. I think the other one that I would love to see the Beavs go to is um, the Alamo. Yeah. In my mind, as long as it's not the Sun Bowl – We'll yeah, no Sun Bowl. <laughs> Vegas Don't was fun. I mean, Vegas and so. LA, but I, they won't take us back. I mean, Vegas wouldn't take us back a second year. I wouldn't no. mind Vegas. But hopefully the Bees are in a big bowl because. Yeah. Fingers crossed for Alamo, Fiesta, something along those lines. Yes. Okay. He has a couple more here that are kind of fun ones. Best OSU uniform combination. Mm. Uh, For me, like current or all time? All time. Let's go all, all time. time. Those Fiesta Bowl throwbacks. Yeah, I was going to say the Fiesta Bowl are all black I, Fiesta Bowl ones are my favorites. I kind of want to see them do a road Fiesta Bowl throwbacks with those black helmets. Yeah, with the white the jerseys. Retro logo, the white jerseys, and then the black pants. I, I feel like that would be a pretty uh, clean and crisp look. Yeah, that would be. But what do you think Maybe. of the orange? So current yeah. uniforms, what I, is your favorite? Uh, Black, orange, black. Okay. I like that. Uh, one thing that I think could be super cool if this is the last civil war, the ducks just dropped their uh, throwback jerseys, throwbacks, the yeah. yellow, green, yellow. They could yeah. go that and Oregon state could throw out the retro Fiesta bowls for the last edition. I feel like that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty sweet. That would, or even, yeah. I, I so I think the Fiesta bowl uniforms, I like the black, black, black. I think those are just so sharp, but mm -hmm. yeah. for road uniform, I've never been a white, all white uniform fan. So Me I like I like the Fiesta Bowl, the black, white, black. But I will say that the creams are actually okay. Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. The, the, but the orange looks sharp. I thought the orange did look. It pretty. looked better than I thought. Uh, 
at first sometimes that orange can look red and it didn't look yeah. red this time. Mm -hmm. at, at first when like i first heard about that oh there's a possibility they might be wearing all orange kind of afraid they'd look like those uh chicago jer jerseys from was it last weekend two weekends yeah, ago I think so, and yeah i hated those ones so i was like as long as they don't look like that we'll be good <laughs> so and his last question is what food item are you most excited or were you the most excited to try on beaver street uh on beaver street i've, I've only ever had the tacos and those tacos were very good so okay. i haven't tried anything on beaver street i did try a burger one time that i shared with eric up in the press box but nothing um i mean it was good it was a burger. It wasn't the tacos. I think would be good, but then you have to go yeah. wait in line for all of it, and we typically have more. It's work too to long do. to wait. Yeah, way too long to wait. Okay, so Jake, we've like managed to uh, talk an entire hour again, and <laughs> I'm sorry we were supposed. Like I said, I, I said at the the start of this that Issa Mascarenas had told me he was jumping on with us today, and I was super excited. And then there's a little mix up because he had damn podcast and um damnation mixed up so he is doing he had already committed to doing something with the damnation nil and so he promised that he will come back in the next week or two and join us on the damn podcast so but jake and i were able to handle lots to talk about keep your ears open for this whole conference realignment um again if you're not a member of beaver blitz jump on our two months for one dollar special that gets you the whole rest of the football season for one dollar it's a no-brainer Jake and I will be back, though, next week on the damn podcast. So next Monday at 3.30. Check us out one more time next week. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present... A mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.